Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the CFP 365 Podcast. My name is Dylan Callan Crowley. He is Anthony Hazan. It feels like we haven't talked to you guys in so long. I think it's only probably been a week and a half, maybe pushing two weeks. We're back today. Talk some football, college football news, but also uh, some pro day standouts from the last couple weeks uh, with pro days now going on uh, full force. But uh, Anthony, uh, I guess how you been since we last talked? Our listeners, uh, since our listeners last heard us, uh, anything new with your life? Uh, no, nothing, nothing new as of late. Um, I was with my girlfriend last week. Uh, it was her birthday. So a uh, happy birthday to Becca or uh, happy belated birthday anyway. So uh, that's kind of why we didn't record last week. I was spending time with her and her family, but, um, yeah, um, we're back again. Uh, there's football to talk about. There is some news. There really wasn't a lot last week, but yeah, let's, let's just dive into it. I'm excited to get back into the world of football again. Sure. Let's get right into the news. We'll start off, uh, with, so two big pieces of news yesterday. Uh, the most latest one was uh, that West Virginia All-American safety um, Tyke Smith has en- entered the transfer portal after just two years in Morgantown. Uh, for those who did not have inside knowledge on uh, the West Virginia program, this one did come as a bit of a shocker. I did do some reading on West Virginia's uh, 24-7 sports page. It uh, it, without giving away too much information, it did come off still as a bit of a shock for them. There was some uh, potential inklings that something like this could happen uh, late last year, but it kind of went past and nothing really happened. So nobody really thought different of it. Uh, but obviously what ended up uh, happening has seemed to now uh, resulted in Smith leaving the program again. I'm not sure what is yet public about his situation there or not, so I don't want to give too much away. But, um, yeah, this one still pretty surprising. Like I said, All-American player, uh, pro football-focused fir- uh, first-team All-American guy, first-team All-Big 12 this past year, uh, 21 career games, 111 career tackles, 10.5 tackles for a loss, one sack, four interceptions. A lot of that happened just this season as a sophomore in nine games. He had 61 tackles, eight tackles for a loss, and two interceptions uh, to go along with five pass deflections. Uh, so this guy is a truly elite safety, one of the top five easily, I think, in all of college football. Going to be a top uh, two-round draft pick probably next year. Uh, this is a big, big player in the transfer portal, Anthony. Yeah, this is arguably the biggest name to hop into the portal so far. I mean, he was a first-team Big 12 All-American, and he was, I think, a third-team AP All-American. So he was a nationally recognized guy. Uh, This is a big name to hop into the portal. I expect he's going to have a lot of big-time suitors going after him. A lot of big-time teams going to be interested. Um, This is a guy that could share up your secondary – you can pair him with anybody out there and he's going to make some plays. Um, he's elite. And yeah, uh, Dylan, who do you think the front runners are? Are there teams that you think are going to be interested? Uh, where do you think this one could potentially go if you had to guess? Yeah, well, I think off the top of my head, and I think you would agree, and this isn't, uh, I, I wouldn't even say 
a homer pick for somebody like yourself, but I think it's Penn State. Um, he's from Philadelphia, so he fits the Pennsylvania mold that Penn State loves to go after, dominate the state. Um, he's a elite safety that would be able to really plug. You could put in any program, plug in it, plug him in, and he would be able to go out and play and play at a high level. Penn State has a need at safety. He would fit that need very easily, very smoothly. Um, so I think Penn State's one. But, I mean, you got there's programs that I also look at. Maybe a Rutgers. I know they're not a big name. I think he could he's going to end up at a big-name school. But Rutgers could definitely use him. That would be a big get for Greg Schiano in that program. Um, so I think off the top of my head, those are two schools that really pop. I think he ultimately ends up at Penn State, but with a player like this, he could really end up, I think, anywhere in the country. Yeah, I would have to agree with you um, for all the reasons you said about Penn State. Obviously, uh, being from Philadelphia, I think that could be a big deal here. Uh, He's got connections to guys currently at Penn State, uh, especially from that Philly area. Um, Other schools that could potentially be interested, schools like Georgia potentially, uh, Auburn could be in play here. North Carolina, North Carolina could yep. could definitely reach out. So you're, you're gonna a, the Tarios were a finalist for him, I believe, coming out of high school as well. They were. So yeah, you're gonna hear a lot of different schools bounced around. I don't think this will take very long, especially any guy that comes out like right now into the portal because spring practices are currently going on. So you'd think that these guys would want to get to their new school, you know, during spring practice. So I, I don't think this will take more than a week, week and a half, maybe two weeks max for him to make a decision. But if I was a betting man, I'd as of right now, I'd put my money on Penn State. That's just that's just my guess. Yeah, I, I I'd put my money on Penn State. I I don't think I know I said Rutgers. I don't think Rutgers is an actual destination for him. But uh, like Penn State, Rutgers would make sense fit wise for him. New Jersey, um, he's from Philly, so. New Jersey's right over there across the Delaware River. Piscataway is not that far away from Philly. Uh, and they and he would go there, and he would be a face of that defense and have an immediate impact there. And I, I would say as much as an All-American safety can, if he goes to another school like an Alabama, a Georgia, um, just because of all the names they have, it would be easier to get lost in the shuffle, per se. Well, I think at a place like Penn State, uh, North Carolina, Rutgers, places like that, where he he would be the name on defense. Uh, it would be uh, probably best for him in terms of raising his draft stock, because uh, I think while you do play with dog, quote unquote dogs at those elite programs, it's also easy to get, like I said, lost in those shadows or overlooked because of other people performing around you, uh, if that makes sense at all. No, it does. I mean, if you're a portal guy, that is something you have to consider, especially if you're a guy portaling, you know, after your junior, senior season, or if you're a grad transfer, you have to consider playing time in your decision. It's probably the biggest factor in what school you decide to go to, because if you only have one shot or two years max to raise your draft stock, because the goal is ultimately the NFL when you're talking about guys like this, you got to go to a spot that is going to allow you to showcase your abilities, not necessarily the best team on the board. 
So, you know, that's something that will weigh in his mind. So if, you know, schools like Penn State that have that opening at safety, I know uh, Franklin and uh, safety coach Anthony Poindexter have said multiple times that that second spot next to Jaquan Brisker, who is a great safety in his own right, uh, is wide open right now, that starting position. So I could see a guy like Tyke Smith fitting in perfectly there. And that's a Penn State secondary that already uh, added a nice upgrade this offseason in uh, John Dixon from South Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. Penn State has hit the portal hard this offseason, and I expect it to, to go hard after him as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and like I said, uh, whoever gets Smith is going to be, uh, be fine at safety. He's a guy who legitimately – plug in and play anywhere it goes and he's going to probably give you an all-american type season uh, top five safety in the country without a doubt um the other big news coming out yesterday was that georgia wide receiver george pickens has torn his acl uh in spring practice meaning um he will likely be out for the entire 2021 uh, season i don't see any possible way he gets back in time even for a late return um that's a big loss for this Bulldogs offense, 85 career receptions, uh, 14 touchdowns over, uh, I think, 1,500 yards or close to it over his two seasons. Uh, what do you think about this loss for Georgia? Does this change your mind about any, the pitcher overall in the SEC East or their chances to win maybe the SEC? Um, first of all, it's it's a huge loss for Georgia. Uh, I feel bad for George Pickens. I think he is one of, if not their best receiver on the roster. Um, I think he's a stud kind of player. Uh, he's a big focal point in that offense. They, you know, their passing game kind of runs through him at times. But um, it doesn't change my opinion of where Georgia sits. You know, in the SEC standings. Uh, to me, it kind of reminds me of last year what happened with Clemson when the Justin Ross. Uh, got injured or that he had that thing with his spinal cord and he was out for the season um, or in his neck. I forget what it was, but um, it's the same type of deal where he's a big part of that offense and it's definitely a big loss for the team, but you know, somebody else will step up in place, you know, someone else stepped up in place of Ross, like Amari Rogers, somebody else on Georgia will step up in place of George Pickens. Georgia has that type of talent. They can just reload. They can replace. Um, They're going to be fine. And uh, I expect them to be okay going into next year. And it doesn't change my opinion of where they sit in the SEC race. Yeah. And uh, Chip Towers of the Atlanta Journal Constitution actually listed uh, five candidates who can uh, fill in for that X receiver spot at uh, Georgia. Some of the names, and here's the thing with Georgia uh, like you said, they have plenty of talent there. Uh, one of the best receiving groups in the country. Um, Jermaine Burden, who uh, had a decent season as a true freshman this past year, 404 yards last year and 27 catches. Marcus uh, Rosemi Jack Saint, I believe. Uh, that's a nice speed guy that they could put out there. Uh, he did uh, get hurt last year. I don't think he's practicing this year. Um, Justin Robinson, a Huge six foot, two hundred twenty pound guy, uh, could make sense. Uh, former Cal wide receiver and uh, really a super senior at this point in Demetrius Robinson, and then Jalen Johnson. Uh, do any of those names stick out to you? 
Uh, yeah, I think the first two guys that you said there, uh, Jermaine Burton and Marcus Brosimi, um, I think those two guys could easily slot in and replace George Pickens. Not easily, but I think they'd have an opportunity to. Uh, those guys are very highly rated coming out of high school. Those are guys with high expectations. Um, obviously, the presence of a guy like Pickens allows them to come along a little more slowly than they would at other schools. But um, I think this could be a great opportunity for those two to assert themselves in this offense and emerge as a top receiver in the SEC. And then Demetrius Robinson is what uh, Demetrius Robinson as well transfer from Cal um, hasn't made as big of an impact as he would have hoped to, but this could also be an opportunity for him to assert himself in his redshirt senior year in this Georgia offense. I still think he's got a lot of potential. He was a five star coming out of high school as well. Yeah, and. The, I mean, this is going to be interesting for Georgia because, I mean, we have yet to see their offense really take that passing game to the next level under Kirby Smart. Now they have that quarterback who can do so under JT Daniels. So to a point, while the loss of George Pickens is big for him because he's an unbelievable talent, I also wonder if because they – unless they do take that step forward in the passing game and – try to become a bigger passing team that if we really won't I don't want to say notice it but notice his absence because of that lack of an elite passing game if that makes sense yeah listen when you talk about Georgia you're talking about with, with their offense at least over the last 10 years or so you're talking about their elite running back play I mean the guys that have come through that system you know Todd Gurley Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, um, I'm sure I'm missing some guys there, but they've, they've had elite running backs come through that system and guys that have been very productive at the next level. You're not really talking about their stud quarterback play as much. You know, the best guy they've had over the last couple of years was Jake Fromm, who hasn't really done much of anything at the next level, but he did get them to the national championship game at Georgia, so he deserves a lot of credit for that. And the best guy that Georgia had was Justin Fields, and he left after the freshman year to go to Ohio State. So, yeah. you know, if Georgia wants to take that next step, and, you know, the next step for them is toppling Alabama, which is easier said than done, they need that elite quarterback play. So is JT Daniels that guy? He could be. He's got the potential to be. But it definitely would have helped him if he had a guy like George Pickens to throw the ball to who could be a true number one receiver for this team. So that will hurt him, but, you know, someone else is going to have to step up. And if, if this was going to happen, if it had to happen and he had to tear his ACL, you know, spring practice is, you know, not the I hate to say the ideal time to do it, but, like, it gives Georgia an opportunity to find that next guy up instead of happening in fall practice where they kind of have to scramble. Absolutely. 100% agree with you. Uh, talking about SEC teams, uh, the dumpster fire that is Tennessee is continuing to burn at an amazing rate. Um, I don't know if <laughs> it really is. This, if they're ever going to put this fire out. Um, the the newest uh, disaster for them is maybe not a disaster per se, but a uh, highly touted freshman quarterback, Caden Salter, one of the top one, nearly a top 150 prospect in 2020 recruiting class, 2021 recruiting class, top 10 dual threat quarterback, Tennessee's third highest ranked signee this past cycle, um, has already been suspended from the team. Um, 
there has not been an official report on why. Uh, if you go on Reddit, there is a report uh, with the post. I don't want to spread any rumors that aren't possibly true, so I'll leave that there. You know where to find it. Um, but yeah, for Tennessee and Salter, this uh, man not a great start for a true freshman. Uh, Josh, head coach Josh Heibel said there's a high standard of Tennessee. And that's the standard that must be met by everyone. But the way I look at this is this is a rough start for any true freshman quarterback, but it's even rougher for a true freshman quarterback who is at a school now where he's with the head coach who didn't recruit him. Josh Heupel has no attachment to Caden Salter here. He doesn't, no. You're 100% right. He has no attachment. So if Salter goes down a path that Eibel doesn't like here, Eibel's not going to have any delay in kicking him off the team as if it was a coach that did recruit him there. Uh, So this is going to be an interesting relationship to keep an eye on here because both guys really have no ties to the other. I'm sure that Heupel may have recruited Salter while he was at UCF, but um, I'm really interested to see how this one develops over the next few months. Yeah, not only is, you know, Heupel not a coach that recruited Salter, but Salter was, you know, even as a true freshman, in the midst of a starting quarterback battle. I mean, Tennessee's kind of going through a little bit of a full reset right now. Um, they brought in transfer Hendon Hooker from Virginia Tech. He's probably the betting favorite to be the starter going into next fall. Uh, you've got uh, backups Brian Marr and, uh, you know, freshman 2020 stud quarterback prospect Harrison Bailey. But Salter was in that conversation. He was a guy that could have, you know, competed for a spot and made a name for himself on that depth chart. He's a talented player. And, you know, to make a, a dumb decision like this, again, we'll wait for the official report to come out before we discuss it. But... For him to, well, you know, I make... just found the. I just, I just. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay, I'll let you read the official report. But for him to make a dumb decision like this, is not a good thing for his career. For to start, he's got time to turn it around, but he's gonna be in the doghouse for a little bit, and he he has to be on his best behavior from now on, or else he risks not being on the team this time next year. Also, to note, another guy in that report that got suspended was. Uh, class of 2021 signee Aaron Willis out of Maryland he was one of their top signees as well and a really good linebacker prospect so that's two of their top guys in the class of 2021 already suspended and in the doghouse for stupid behavior let's be real here yeah all right so here we go uh from Knoxville or Knox News uh this is uh as of 7 37 p.m eastern time Recording this at 9.35, so about just two hours ago. Um, Tennessee football quarterback Caden Salter is serving an indefinite suspension and did not participate in the Vols' first practice of the spring Thursday, so we know that. Um, the highly regarded freshman is the fourth Vols suspended following an incident at Stokely Hall in early March. Martavis French, Isaac Washington, and Aaron Willis were all suspended indefinitely. March 12th, you just previously mentioned Bulls. After they were arrested on preliminary charges related to misdemeanor drug possession, 
A source with direct knowledge of the situation told Knox News at the time that a fourth player also was suspended indefinitely. Salter, a minor, was not named the police log nor initially among the suspensions. Uh, Hypo did not offer a timetable for return to practice. Um, that could make sense um, if that uh, Salter was not originally um, named if, because he was a minor. Uh, because he is still only 17. Uh, so if it is relating to this drug issue at Tennessee, I mean, uh, props for Hypo for running a no BS shop around there. That's what that program needs right now. Uh, but uh, like I said, um, this, this is going to be an interesting next few months for Salter and Willis, really, with Hypo. Uh, because uh, once you're in the doghouse once, it's not hard to get back in the doghouse. And if they feel like they're going to have a tough time getting on the field because of prior behavior, uh, I and with the transfer portal today and this upcoming rule change that players now have one free transfer, guys aren't going to be afraid to pack it up and leave a place knowing that they could go somewhere uh, and play right away. Yeah, and that's, uh, I guess you can call it, either the beauty or the ugly side of the transfer portal, depending on where you sit on the issue. These guys have free reign to at least one time in their career, leave whenever they feel like it and go wherever they see fit. So, you know, if a kid doesn't like where they sit in the depth chart, they can pack up and leave. If a kid feels like, you know, they don't have a great relationship with the coach, they can pack up and leave. And, you know, if you've already put yourself in a bad situation you know, there's nothing stopping these kids from just picking up and going somewhere else. So I don't think that's going to happen at this moment in time. You know, it's still so early in their careers. They can turn this around. There's no reason to just leave. But we'll, we'll see that, like you said, we're definitely going to have to see, you know, what happens with this and when Hypel decides to let them back on the team and start practicing again. Absolutely. And, and that's going to especially for a guy like Salter, but also Willis. I mean, uh, as true freshman, this is key development time that you were supposed to get because you were an early enrollee. And depending on how long they're suspended, that it, it completely wipes out development time. And that's that's a risk Heupel knows. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, that, these are... That, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, these are guys that coming in you know, Hypo thought that they could be the future of this team. You know, when you take yep. these guys, especially guys that highly rated, you think these guys could, a couple years down the line, be for Willis, the future of the linebacking core, for Salter, the future of the quarterback room. Like, those are guys that you kind of rely on. So it's disappointing for him as well to have to make this decision and stunt their growth as players. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, wait and see here. Uh, but you ready to move into, uh, I guess, our main discussion of the day? Yeah, let's get right into it. All right. So the main discussion of the day is some of the recent pro days and some standouts. So before we get into individual, Anthony, uh, I think it's worth talking about how pro days this year are so much more interesting and have so much more importance. Usually this time of the year, Pro days are going on, but we've already had the NFL Combine, so all 32 teams have already been uh, seeing all these players up close and personal, have already got a ton of data on them, 
and then the pro day is kind of there just to uh, reconfirm some data, see some players that maybe weren't invited to the combine, and uh, check up on some things here and there. But now with no combine this year, these are the only extra data sets teams are getting on players um, outside of their game tape for the last uh, two or three years. So pro days this year are I not even double the importance, but maybe triple or quadruple the importance of a regular year. And I, I think it's going to create such an interesting crapshoot of a draft because some guys here are going to get drafted because they had some amazing pro days. But once they get on the field, those athletic traits may not just add up. And it's going to, some guys are going to be steals and some guys are going to be um, some selections that could get people fired. Yeah. Uh, listen, when you talk about, you know, combines and pro days versus on-field performance, you know, it's it's a balancing act for these draft evaluators, for these talent scouts, for these individual teams, for these GMs, because, you know, you get wowed by what you see in the pro day, in the combine, but just because you're athletic in those settings does not mean that it's going to match up on the field. And we'll talk about certain guys where maybe that, that fits the bill. But you might also have some guys that don't do incredibly well in the pro day and don't have those great testing numbers, but they go out on the field and they just are football players. So it, it's easy to fall into one category or another as a GM, as a scout. And like you said, it really is a crapshoot and, and it's a balancing act. Some guys are going to end up being steals because if they can put it together based off their athletic ability, they'll be superstars. And some guys are going to be bust because they just never were able to fully put it together or they transitioned to the next level and they weren't fast enough or they weren't strong enough. So I guess yeah. on top of that, um, why, Dylan, why do these pro days have such a great effect on players' draft stock? You know, if if they don't necessarily translate to what you see on the field, why can they make or break these guys positions in like, as they get drafted in the draft come draft day? Yeah, so I think that comes down to when we're talking about outside the top 32 guys in of any draft. Um, well, when we're going to talk about people getting drafted, we're legitimately talking about the worst of, not the worst, the best of the best in football. And even the worst player that is going to get drafted is 100 times better than most uh, football players who are ever, ever suit up in college football. Um, I mean, and that's uh, that's something that's really become uh, evident, I think, in sports, and not evident. That's something that people in sports are forgetting. I don't know if you saw, and it's kind of off topic, but did you see a video on uh, social media the other day of uh, NBA legend, uh, using that loosely, uh, Brian Scalabrine playing a dude one on one in a pickup game? I did see that, and he cooked him because yeah, yeah, sure. listen. You're right. These kids get cocky because they think, oh, this dude was a bench player. Like, I can I can beat him. 
No, you can't. These dudes are still in the top 1% of the world. They will still beat your ass sideways in the sport that they got paid to play professionally. Like, it it makes me laugh that, like, these kids get so cocky to think that they can take them. You can't. Exactly. So you know out there that, I mean, whether it's a guy who's going 50th overall or um, Mr. Relevant, obviously, when we're talking about that big of a disparity, yes, guy going for the overall is probably much better than Mr. Relevant. But you know somewhere out there somebody is saying, oh, I could – if Mr. Relevant is an offensive lineman, they're saying, yeah, I, I could take him back in when I was in high school. I mean, no. The, these guys who are getting drafted are still amongst the best in the world. That's just something I want to get off my chest. I mean, we, we can say players suck all they want when we're, when we're uh, talking about them in the NFL, but at the end of the day, the worst guy in the NFL is still one of the top, what, there's 53-man rosters, so we're talking about one of the top 16, 1700 players in the world. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. But uh, yeah, pro days. Pro days are important because when we're talking about the 200 some players that are going to get drafted in the NFL draft, the little things will add up. So I mean, if you're talking about two cornerbacks uh, who may have the same height similar production, um, went to similar schools, uh, who are you going to draft? Well, it, it may come down to who has the better the better athletic skill set. If one guy has maybe a 4-5-40, are you going to take him over a guy who has a 4-4-5? Four, four, or uh, maybe the guy with the 4-5-40 has a little bit of a better vertical than the guy with the 4-4-5. Four, four, so, I mean, the, these little things that take place during a pro day, verticals, 40-yard uh, dashes, cone drills, so on and so forth, uh, are really the little data sets that end up moving guys up and down draft boards because it, it helps separate them from others uh, because with all this data, you're allowed, you can build this athletic profile of what these guys are, compare them to guys who were previously drafted, and try to project to a better point uh, what these players are going to be at the next level. Now, most years, these pro days are the some of the penultimate data points teams gather on a player. Usually those last data points are uh, in-house visits, but without uh, those visits happening this year, these pro days are legitimately the only extra data set teams are getting on guys outside of what we've seen in game. Um, so that all that data set, that data this year is uh, even all more important. So like a guy like we're going to talk about here later, to, later uh, Paris Ford, uh, his pro day was absolutely horrendous. And he was a guy who we're talking about as a maybe a early day three pick. Now you got to question if he's even going to get drafted because of how poorly he performed during his pro day. While a guy like in the past, we saw a guy at Penn State, Troy Apke, somebody I never would have thought I'd get drafted. He went out, had an amazing pro day, and now he's in his fourth year in the NFL or fifth year. And I mean, it it takes guys from being undrafted to being drafted, and it could also take you from being a draftable prospect to uh, untouchable. 
Yeah, no, I think you've said that perfectly. I really do. And kind of like know, we said, kind of like I know we said, I went off a little tangent, but I feel like I got it over my point. Yeah, no, I, I thought you did a great job of describing that and why they're important. And like I said before, it's a balancing act. You can't just be a, a freak athlete with no numbers on the field or just be good on the field but have no athletic ability. You have to have a mixture of both. That's what makes you a great NFL prospect. So I think that's why these pro days or these combines, you know, whatever setting they're in, they are important for these scouts because, like you said, they put together that full draft profile, and that can really help separate guys on a team's board for exactly what they're looking for. Because in each defensive scheme or in each offensive scheme, they might want a different type of player. And these athletic profiles can kind of show them, okay, this guy fits a little better in what we want to do at this position let's target this guy ahead of this guy. So exactly, I, And I mean, it doesn't even affect those. I mean, it even affects first round guys. I mean, a guy like uh, another one we're going to be talking about JC Horn out of South Carolina. He was very much considered a day one draft pick, uh, or if not a very high day two draft pick in the second round, he may have vaulted himself up into the top 15, maybe even the top 10 because of his pro day performance. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about guys making millions here. And now that's not going to happen with every year and every guy, but uh, it shows even more so with this year how important these pro days are and how much uh, value players can add uh, to themselves uh, this year uh, with uh, the limited data now that we have. Yeah, no. Um, and J.C. Horn, we could start with him. He's one of the guys we had on our uh, standout board for pro day guys. Uh, he put together a 4.37 40-yard dash and a 41.5-inch vertical jump. Uh, those are two really good numbers. Anytime you run in the four threes as a player, you're doing something right. So and a 41.5-inch vertical is very impressive. So, yeah, he's a guy that he was already like a day one, maybe a day two guy. Now he might have solidified himself as a day one guy with these types of numbers. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I think he's – so definitely solidified himself as a day one guy. He already projected to be a number one cornerback. And, I mean, he was probably considered maybe the number three or number four corner in the draft coming into it uh, or this week. Uh, and now with this, I mean, you're talking about him potentially being the number one corner in the draft. Um, and I, I personally think he's going to be a star at the next level. And, and that was even before this week. I, I'm interested to see where he now projects in the upcoming mock drafts. Uh, it, it's going to be hard to say until all the pro days are over. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's going to be an exciting player, and he, he really put on a show uh, at his pro day um, this week. Yeah, no, he really did. Um, let's, let's, let's go to the next guy. So um, this is a guy we kind of – like uh, alluded to earlier, uh, Penn State just had their pro day today. Um, it was kind of the yeah. talk of Twitter a little bit because um, there were a lot of really, really impressive numbers for some Penn State players. Um, one of those guys was mm-hmm. Jason Oway, uh, one of Penn State's uh, star defensive ends. Um, he put at 257 pounds, so he's almost 260 pounds. He put together a 4.36 40-yard dash and a 39-and-a-half-inch vertical jump. Um, yeah. Dylan, that's, that's, that's freak numbers right there. 
Oh, uh, Jason, there is no doubt about it. Jason Owe is one of the top five freak athletes in this draft. Uh, when we're talking about athletic traits, Jason Owe has everything you desire in an rusher. He uh, He's the type of player you salivate over, and you can just picture in your head him dominating offensive linemen over and over again um, because of his athleticism and traits. Um, and the, you actually made me think of one other point here with the 40-yard dashes on these pro days is um, at the combine, they use laser times, which are tend to be more accurate. And now with the pro days, we're using mostly, if not entirely, uh, hand times here. So, I mean, how accurate are these 40-yard dashes is going to be the ultimate question. How, What guys' 40-yard dashes are... Uh, perhaps seeming a little better because of maybe a quick hand or maybe are a little slower because somebody was a little slow on hitting the clock. So, I mean, that's going to be something interesting to watch over time. Uh, Obviously, we won't know until uh, OTAs and training camps and all that stuff, but uh, that's going to be something interesting to see uh, over time. But also, uh, yeah, back to OA, just – phenomenal numbers phenomenal athlete and he's the type of guy who i think is ultimately going to be one of these boomer bust prospects you look at his production at penn state uh it was very little production uh especially this past year as a pass rusher only seven sacks in his career had no sacks in 2020 that's the only thing keeping him from not being a top 10 pick if he if he had more if he had even two sacks this year he may be a top 10 pick this year but with that limited production, uh, there's questions. He developed as a a run defender this year, uh, which helped keep his stock as high as it is. But I, I think he's going to be one of these guys who either is going to be a steal at the bottom of the first round, or he may get a guy fired because it may take him a few years to develop those pass rushing skills he needs to succeed at the NFL level. Yeah, no, I think you described Jason Oway perfectly. Uh, he, he is the definition of a boom or bust prospect. Um, I think I think he'll be a first-round pick. He was kind of on the borderline of a late first, early second-round guy. Um, I think a team will reach to take him in the first just because, you know, edge rushers are a hot commodity in the NFL these days. So a team will fall in love with that athleticism and take him in the middle to the end of the first round, I think. But um, one guy who shouldn't be uh, in the middle of the end of the first round but might end up being there anyway due to other reasons besides on-the-field performance is uh, one of OA's teammates, Micah Parsons. Um, Everybody knows uh, Micah Parsons at this point. He's a stud linebacker prospect. He's the best linebacker prospect in this draft. He might be one of the best linebacker prospects in the past couple of drafts. Uh, The talent just jumps off the page. He put together an excellent pro day as well. Um, his big numbers, he had a 34-and-a-half-inch vertical and a 4.39 40-yard dash, just a little bit slower than OA. He would have been the fastest linebacker in the combine this year. Uh, Micah Parsons is a freak in his own right. Um, yeah, talk to me about Micah Parsons, Dylan. Uh, so as an Eagles fan, sitting at number six, it's taking Parsons is such an – the Eagles have a need of linebackers, so already won Parsons. It's not going to happen, though. They're probably going to take Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts if they're there. But, uh, yeah, I think Parsons is a 
true elite linebacking linebacker prospect. I think he's the best linebacker prospect to come out since Cleo Mack. I think he has a potential to be better than Cleo Mack, and that's saying a lot. Um, this is a guy, too, who at the next level could transition to a Von Miller-type role. Not a true uh, defensive lineman, but he's going to be a guy who can play linebacker slash that edge defender role because he, he has unbelievable speed. He has unbelievable size for a linebacker. He has great strength. I mean, th- he is a perfect package at linebacker. and He is probably going to fall maybe a little bit farther than he should because of some of the off-the-field questions. But, I mean, whoever gets him, I think, is going to have their linebacker for the next 15 years as long as they're able to keep him long-term because he is going to be one of the best linebackers in the NFL for a very, very long time. Yeah, I agree. Um, he's And he was very productive at Penn State over his two seasons, especially his sophomore season when he was able to start. He looked like that linebacker that everybody thought he was going to be. Oh yeah, if you're if you don't know about Micah Parsons' game, just throw on uh, the Cotton Bowl against Memphis or look up his highlight tape against Memphis in that game, and and you will see exactly what we're talking about and why we're so high on Micah Parsons. Um, he probably will be one of the stories of the draft where he ends up going. If he slips at all, that team that takes him is going to get a steal, and they're going to get a stud player. Um, who else do you want to talk about, Dylan? There's some other names on this list here. I'll, I'll let you take it from here. What's what's sure, what's that you sure. want to bring up? Um, let's go to Elijah Moore at uh, Ole Miss. Um, so I I, I think Elijah Moore is going to be a, a a steal in this draft as well, as much as a guy who's probably going first round can be. But I mean, five nine one eighty five, so he's not a huge guy. But he posted, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. A four point three two forty yard dash today. Yeah, he put up a four three two forty, which is which is blazing fast. Blazing, blazing fast. I mean, that's truly elite speed. I mean, I think, uh, off the top of my head, I mean, Tyreek Hill is up there at that speed. Um, John Ross posted a pretty high forty yard dash coming out of college as well, but. Uh, I think Moore is going to be that next Ole Miss wide receiver to go NFL and kill it. Obviously, he's not as big as a DK Metcalf, but he probably has just as good of hands as DK Metcalf. Obviously, not not going to be that big red zone guy, but he's going to take the top off any defense uh, he goes against. Uh, he you can play him in the slot, you can play him on the boundary, um, but that forty yard dash, you knew he was going to be fast, but Man, that is that's off the charts fast. Can we just say that this is this might be the deepest wide receiver class that we've had in a long, long time. There are honestly ten at least ten really good receivers in this draft class. It's insane. Like guys like Elijah Moore had great pro days. Um another guy that just jumps off the page is uh Purdue's Rondell Moore. Um, he had an incredible pro day. He put up a yep. four four point two seven forty yard dash time, and a forty two and a half inch vertical. And he's five foot seven. 
He's five foot and seven, jumping forty two and a half inches. That's absolutely insane. And Anthony Schwartz from Auburn also put up a four two six forty. And he's a track guy, so we expect that from him. But Rondell Moore, yeah, and like unbelievable. You almost Moore forget also, about him. I think he also killed it on the bench press. Uh, I think he had twenty four reps at um, two fifteen, two twenty five. I think they're usually around there. Um, so yeah. No, Rondo Moore, a lot like Elijah Moore, um, um, no relation, at least I think. Um, just uh, both both are going to be absolute studs, I think, in the next level. And Moore is a guy who's fallen in mock drafts recently, but somebody's going to get a hell of a talent there in the, with a day two pick with uh, Rondo Moore. Oh, my God, yeah. I, I think if my team took him day two – I'd be thrilled because you're getting a guy who's a playmaker at the next level. He was a playmaker in college on a Purdue team that really was not that good, but he carried that Purdue offense at times and made them relevant, especially in that Ohio State game a few years back. The famed game yep. with, uh, with Tyler Trent and that whole situation, may he rest in peace. But uh, Rondell Moore, that was his coming out party in that game, and he showed the world why he's a star. And I think that if he falls to the to the to day two or the second or third round, some team's going to get a, a stud player at the next level. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen him in first round in some mock drafts, and I've seen him fall to the second and even third round in some others. So I mean, it, it's going to be really intriguing where he goes. Uh, but both uh, Elijah Moore and Rondell Moore absolutely popped off. Um, and uh, I guess you could say I can't wait to see more of them uh, over the next couple of weeks since I'm sure they'll all be posting videos of them working out and such. Um, Quickly transition what, off of that one, please. Yeah. Uh, here's an intriguing prospect. Not a big name. Uh, Nate Hobbs, Illinois. Um, this is a guy who at Illinois had great production over his uh, four-year career there. Um, let me pull up his stats here quickly. Uh, so let's just burn some time here. Um, yeah, four-year career there. 166 tackles, 12 and a half tackles for a loss, three interceptions. Um, he's six foot 195, but in his pro day today, uh, not today, but earlier this month, he absolutely killed it here. Uh, he posted a 4.38 unofficial 40 and he posted a 40 and a half vertical. I mean, those are phenomenal numbers. He's projected as a developmental type pick, but this is why pro days are so important. This guy was a projected and still is developmental pick, meaning he's probably gone fifth or seventh round. But because of those numbers, he's now somebody who is going to see his stock rise a bit. Still, maybe a maybe a fifth round guy, but you may see him now go in the fourth round because of that athleticism and some team is going to see that and is going to see he was productive. Illinois has some shortcomings he needs to overcome in his game, but if he overcomes those, he has a chance to be a very good cornerback at the next level in terms of being a productive guy. I'm not saying he's going to be a lead corner, be a guy who's a number one or even a number two corner, but he's going to be a guy that is going to outplay his draft stuff, where he got drafted, uh, if you can develop him right. Oh, yeah. I mean, this the guys like him are exactly why pro days and combines exist. 
it's because they can showcase, okay, so I'm maybe a late round guy or even an undrafted guy, you know, maybe I, I put up these big time numbers. I show off my big time athleticism. Maybe a team is willing to take a flyer on me late to prove myself to them because sure. Like when you're taking a guy that late in the draft, you're not expecting to get a superstar like you are in the first couple of rounds, first round, second round, whatever. You're expecting to get a guy that maybe you have to bring along for a few years. Maybe he turns into something, maybe he doesn't. But either way, you're not wasting a whole lot of money and you're not wasting a big time pick. But you never know. You get a guy with good measurables, good athleticism, good speed, uh, good agility, you know, you're willing to take a chance on that. So, you know, good for Nate Hobbs. Um, I hope he can turn it into a late round draft pick and, you know, maybe he turns into something at the next level. You never know. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as much as pro days can help guys, I mean, it can also hurt some guys. I mean, one of those guys we've already seen and heard is uh, who I briefly mentioned earlier, uh, Pittsburgh safety, Paris Ford projected to be a, mid-round draft pick somewhere in there, third to fifth round, I guess. He posted a 4-9 40-yard dash and a 28-and-a-half vertical, I believe. I mean, for his sake, you have to hope he was battling some type of injury because if not, those are just – those are number, numbers that could get you completely taken off a board. Yeah, I mean, Paris Ford is six foot, 190 pounds. This is not a 300-pound man we're talking about here. For him to put up a 4-9, 40-yard dash, there are defensive tackles and offensive tackles that put up faster times than that. And yep. a 28-and-a-half-inch vertical, that's pretty much what 300-pound linemen put up. Like, that's, that's really, really bad for a guy who was really, really productive at the college level. Um, I mean, I, just look at Christian Barmore at uh, Alabama. Six five, three hundred and what, ten pounds? He posted a four nine three forty yard dash. Yeah, that's slightly that's slower than Paris Ford. I mean, to think that Barmore could beat Paris Ford in a race is number one a testament to Barmore's athleticism. Because anytime you're over three hundred pounds, if you run under a five second forty yard dash, you are a freak at your size. Because I, I think we forget that that guys that big should not be running under five second forties, but yeah, for Paris Ford, I, I hope he was hurt because that's those are pitiful numbers all around. He didn't have a single stat in his pro day where you looked at him and said, yeah, that's actually kind of decent. They were all really, really poor. Yeah, uh, 100% uh, agree. And, uh, I mean, you feel bad for a guy, for, for a guy in a situation because, I mean, especially this year, because it is that limited data set, there's besides game tape, there's nothing else that's going to be able to help boost his stock now. Um, so some team will still take a chance on him because of the game tape, but a lot of teams are going to drop him way down as their board because of that performance. Yeah, and that that's the downside of these pro days. Um, you see that a lot with certain guys where. Maybe they don't like Trevor Lawrence didn't run a 40. He didn't do like the vertical jump or anything. He just threw um, certain guys don't do everything at their pro day because maybe they didn't specialize in that in their training, or maybe they know that it would hurt them more than help them to do it. Um, 
maybe Paris Ford should have went that route with, with his pro day and not ran a 40 or did a vertical or whatever, because, you know, it really only hurt him more than it helped him. He would have been better off not doing anything and, and claiming he was, he pulled a hammy or something. Yeah. It, it, I'll, I'll be interested to see if anything comes out of uh, his camp over the next few weeks about that. It'll be interesting to see where he's also going to end up in some uh, mock drafts going forward. Uh, is there anybody else you want to talk about pro day wise? Um, no, not really. Uh, just very quickly, next 10 seconds. Uh, one guy I also had listed here was Patrick Sertain out of Alabama. Um, you talked about um, J.C. Horn being a top corner. Patrick Sertain probably is the top corner, and he solidified that um, with his pro day. 4'4", 39 39-inch vertical. He's a freak athlete, just like his dad was a freak athlete at the NFL level. Um, Sertain should be the first corner off the board come draft day. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, it's going to come down to him or Horn at this point. I think uh, Caleb Farley, it came out, is – having a uh some type of bat i don't want to call it surgery but a back procedure um which may move him down some boards um but i think i also read that he should be good to go for um training camp in the summer um before we head out of here is there i i want to get your thoughts on one other thing and that's what has happened over at uh, Oklahoma with Chandler Morris. Uh, Morris was going to head to TCU, but Lincoln Riley uh, shut that down and stopped Morris from going there. Um, what are your thoughts on interconference transfer? Inter, inter, con, I always get inter and intra confused. Would it be intra intra is within, inter is between, I believe. Okay, so, so intra conference transferring uh what are your what are your thoughts on intra-conference transferring i mean we saw the acc recently get rid of their own rule regarding that now you can transfer from between acc institutions uh do you think all conferences should get rid of that rule and what are your thoughts on this specific situation for me it kind of seems kind of hypocritical uh from a guy who has benefited from guys from within his conference transferring to uh, his school. Well, yeah, here's the deal. If, if, if you're a coach that's against interconference transferring, I think, you know, like it needs to go both ways with coaches and players. So if players can't transfer within the conference, coaches shouldn't be able to jump from one team to another within the conference either. Um, I think it's kind of hypocritical for a coach to say, yeah, no, we don't want our player going to another team within the conference. I understand why they wouldn't want them to go, but you can't tell the kid that he can't go where he wants to go, especially if there's a one-time transfer rule in effect where they should have the freedom to go wherever they like. So, yeah, I think it's a little hypocritical. Um, I, I think it's ridiculous that coaches have the power to make decisions for these kids like that. Um I think it's unfair, and I think Lincoln Riley needs to let this one go because he comes off as a little petty. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, especially at Oklahoma, there's been no school in college football that's benefited more from transfer, the transfer portal for quarterbacks than Oklahoma. I mean, Baker Mayfield went to Texas Tech. Yeah, he had to sit out a year, but, I mean, cry me a river. 
you're it's petty and you're you're the top dog in that conference and there's the only school even close to you is Texas. Yeah, and Texas like, is still a I mile mean, away. I mean, yeah, Iowa State is very good right now, but let's be honest, after Matt Campbell leaves Iowa State, which I don't know if it's going to be after this season, but I I don't think he's going to live out of that contract there. I, Iowa State's probably going to go back to being a middle-of-the-pack program with a good season here and there, which is still better than what they were before Matt Campbell, but still, they're... It, long-term, Texas is still going to be the number two team in that conference. Yeah, no, Oklahoma's the top dog, and the TCU isn't exactly a threat. Even if Chandler Morris turns out to be this really good quarterback for TCU, I still don't think that it's going to affect Oklahoma's standing at the top of the conference or in the playoff picture. So, to hold this back, you know, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. It just you know, the public backlash you're going to get from it, I think, far outweighs the benefit of holding your backup quarterback from leaving for a school within the conference. So to me, yeah, Crimea River, it just doesn't, it, it just, he just comes off as petty. And I think that every conference should do away with that rule. You know, there's already like the one time transfer rule in effect. So these guys can leave whenever they want anyway. So just, just let it go. I could not have said it better myself. Um, and I guess before we officially let this episode uh, go and wrap it up, um, I ask you, how excited are you for spring games to be happening? It's going to be great. Next, well, not this month, but next month and May. It's going to be great to see football on TV again. And uh, no, no disrespect to the FCS. It's going to be great to see, you know, college football teams that we know and love and follow religiously on TV again. Um, even in like glorified scrimmages, which is exactly what they are. You know, there will be some fans at most of these games, which is, which is fantastic to see. Um, I really hope that by the fall we can get back to full houses at games and all that good stuff. But for now, it'll just be nice to see football again. I 100% agree. And uh, starting next week, I think we should uh, start breaking into some uh, not in-depth team previews, but go through the conferences, talk about uh, each team quickly, what we uh, expect, what we are looking to see out of them in the spring, uh, some expectations. And uh, perhaps we'll even provide a top 25 head into the spring. Sound good for you? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure we'll start probably with, we'll just go in alphabetical order, start with the ACC next week and just take it from there. Yep. And I couldn't say it better myself, Anthony. We'll talk about that all next week in the next episode of the CFB 365 podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody, to this episode, uh, if you're still listening. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at CollegeFB underscore 365. Um, and, yeah, interact with us on there. Uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Leave a rate on Apple or wherever you can. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys real soon. Be safe and have a great weekend.